Okay, so if you're with me, turn to Hebrews chapter 5. So my message today is talking about how disciple-making is kind of the fruit of Christian maturity, right? And, and so to give you some context for Hebrews, since we're just diving right in, so maybe you can have more understanding of it, Hebrews was written to a church. We don't know for sure the author, and we don't know for sure the audience, but through reading it, we can kind of guess it was probably a Jewish audience who were beginning to go through persecution, and that they were being tempted in that time to go back to certain older Jewish rites and rituals. And so the author is trying to show them that Jesus is actually the fulfillment of all that is in the Old Testament. And because he is the fulfillment, he's so much better. So stop turning back to those old ways because what you have in Jesus is so much more fulfilling, so much better than anything you can possibly have, right? And, and, and so because a persecution is coming on it, they're being tempted and so he is addressing that. And right before this section, he specifically talks about how Jesus is our great high priest, the fulfillment of high priest. And he's addressing this Jewish audience. He's saying, yes, uh, so there's a problem with Jesus being the high priest, right? So in Jewish law, only Levites could be high priest. But Jesus was also the king, so he was not a Levite, right? He was from the tribe of Judah. How can he still be the high priest? And so he brings in this old, character, old Testament character called Melchizedek and says, and he says that Jesus is from this older line. In other words, not because of blood, he is a high priest for, because of the pointing of God in this position. So therefore, he is a better high priest, right? And right at that point is where we're going to pick up, right at the end of that section into the next. This is what it says starting in verse 7. In the days of his flesh... Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. Oh, sorry, I actually want you to stand for, for this part. I've, I've gotten out of practice. Let me start again. So, starting with verse 7. In the days of the flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, and you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray that you would show us today how we can be mature in Christ. You show us the benefits of turning to Jesus to 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 build up the foundation of the gospel so that we don't have to continually keep building it up. But off of that, we can go on to maturity so that we can teach others also. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. So, um, as I was preparing for this, I was reminded of a quote by one of my favorite theologians. She was a, a pioneer missionary to Algiers called Lilius Trotter. 
And in this book, she was kind of writing about disciple, about Christian maturity and sanctification and how that kind of resembles how plants grow. And one of the things she was observing was there's this kind of impulse um, at that time to breed up these flowers that bloom bigger and brighter and more colorful. But in the process of building that up, that actually kind of corrupts, they wouldn't have the word for it, but their genetics, so they can't actually produce uh, seeds. And this is what she had to say about that. She said, a flower that stops short at its flowering misses its purpose. We were created for more than our own spiritual development. Reproduction, not mere development, is the goal of the matured being. Reproduction and other lives. And so what her concern was, she saw the strain in Christians where they viewed their, their own spiritual growth and maturity as this private personal thing where it almost turned in on itself, where they were growing and maturing for its own sake, kind of a flower looking to bloom all the bigger. But at the end of the day, it was not leading to a reproduction of their faith in the lives of others. It was like a flower that bloomed without creating seeds, which is what a flower is for. Uh, in, in today's day, we kind of, uh, one of the terms that gets thrown around, I know uh, me and Joe have talked about it a lot, is spiritual obesity. In other words, this person who is constantly taking in the teachings of God, and they're not putting it into practice. They're not using it in the discipleship of others. And that is a great concern for the Christian life. And I think the author of Hebrews shares that. But what he addresses is actually even slightly different. If you look here, what he is addressing is actually the fact that these, the people he's writing to aren't maturing at all. Therefore, they're not able to, to reproduce their faith by teaching others. So I want to dive in that with you, and, and I hope you can see this as well. But first off, I want to show you um, from this text the concern of the author of Hebrews for the audience that he's writing to. So his concern in the midst of persecution and their turning back to their old ways of life, his ultimate concern is that they are doing this because of their prolonged immaturity. Look with me at verse 11. It says this, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you. In other words, this teaching on Melchizedek, he's trying to explain to them how this points to Jesus, this teaching in the Old Testament ultimately points to Jesus and how it is for their good. He's saying, I want to say more about this, but you're having a hard time hearing me. Why? Because even though at this point you should be teachers, you still need people to teach you. In other words, they are immature in their understanding. What else does he say is immature about them? So if we, we keep going, um, they are immature in the basic principles of the oracles of God. See that right here in verse 12. Now, that term oracles of God, that may sound strange to you. If you're reading a different translation, it might say something slightly different. But essentially, that is the basic principles of God's word, his scripture, right? And what are those specifically? Well, if you turn to our 
for me it's turned, for some of you it might just be played out. The beginning of chapter 6, these elementary doctrines are basically the gospel. They're about Christ, him crucified, of not going back to useless works for salvation, not laying again this foundation of repentance from works, but, but going to Jesus, right? Not laying again this teaching, right? But I want you to notice the problem in here is not that they don't understand it. The problem is that they should understand it and they don't. I want to kind of highlight this difference. His problem with them is not that they are immature. His problem is that they are prolonging their immaturity. All right? In other words, to bring a real-life example, for a baby to act like a baby is normal. For an adult to act like a baby, something is wrong. All right? And, th and that's true in the Christian life. If you've been hearing these lessons on maturity, and you are a new Christian, and you're like, these teachings are tough. Yeah, because you are new in the faith. That is okay. Keep pressing on to maturity. But if you're hearing these messages on maturity, and you've been a Christian for years and decades, and you're saying, man, this is tough. This can be a wake-up call to you. Press on to maturity. But what else? How, how is he defining maturity specifically here? So, let me read a couple of these things. So the first one is that they need to be taught again the basic principles of the oracles of God. That word again is important. In other words, he has taught them the basic principles. They have understood it. But for some reason, they need to go back and be taught it again. Right? It, he is not saying that as Christians, we, we graduate from the gospel. We can let it go and never talk about it. In fact, many times in the New Testament it says, hey, I remind you of these things. It's, it's both good for me and it's good for you that I remind you of them. His problem is that they forgot it entirely. They don't need reminded. They need that foundation built again and again. And what else? So moving on from verse 11, it also says that, um, that they need milk and not solid food. And what does that mean specifically? Anyone who is on milk, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. What is the word of righteousness? Once again, we're coming back to the Bible. Okay, moving from, from that verse, it says, it's, it, it talks about how, why they are unskilled in the words of righteousness. That their powers of discernment between what is good and what is evil are dull. So taking all this together, what is immaturity? Immaturity is to be unskilled in the basic principles of the Bible. When you should be a teacher, instead you need to be taught. It is being unskilled in the word of righteousness and is being unskilled in distinguishing good from evil. In other words, an immature Christian, one who is prolonging their immaturity, is one who cannot, who is unskilled in their use of the Bible and applying it in their lives to discern good from evil. Right? Therefore, a mature Christian is what? What would be the opposite of that? Someone who is skilled in the gospel, who can teach it and pass it on to others. Right? One who can share their faith clearly and confoundingly. It is to be skilled in the word of God. It is to be able to read it and to understand what it says and to apply it so that they can discern good from evil, right? A mature Christian is one who can take the word of God, apply it to their lives, and teach others to do 
the same. Are you seeing that from the text here? But how do you learn this? Because what I want to point out to you is that what the author is critiquing is not a lack of academic ability. All right? He's not saying, oh, you guys are just, you're just not smart enough to get it. Instead, he's expecting that they do get it. And in fact, that seems to be the implication here, right? If we're reading it correctly, is that all Christians are called to move towards maturity. I think some people have this confusion when we talk about becoming mature in Christ. They view it as kind of an optional thing, a bonus, as it were. Like, uh, if, if you want to go to maturity, that's good. It's, it, but it's really saved for those few, those elite, those like really Christian Christians. But what the Bible actually says is, no, all Christians are called to move towards maturity. And if you keep reading, this author takes it so seriously that Hebrews is actually filled with some incredibly strong warnings where in just the next chapter, he says, hey, if you are in prolonged maturity, if you are not actually maturing, I'm concerned for your salvation. I know the Holy Spirit and I know his power and he can affect maturity in you. So if it's not happening, why is that? He then comforts them and said, I'm sure of better things for you because I've seen the work the Spirit has done. But still, this prolonged immaturity is serious. Pay attention. Something is going wrong here. It is for all Christians. But how do we become mature? That's the question, right? Uh, it, it's one thing that you should be mature, that you should need, you should understand the scripture and its basic principles. But how do you do that? If it's expected of everyone and not just those academically gifted, how do you do this? And that's what I want you to see. Go down to the last verse in this section, verse 14. It says, solid food is for the mature. For those who have their power of discernment trained by what? By constant practice. How do you become mature? By constant practice. What does that mean here? It means that you take in your reading of Scripture alone and by yourself and when it's preached and taught to you and you practice living it out. And as you do that, you gain in your ability to discern good and evil and become mature. It's not advanced. This is not incredibly difficult to grasp. It's actually a very simple concept, right? It's something each of us, if we've ever done a sport, we, we know. Like I still remember back in the very first practice that we always have for wrestling. Back way in third grade, they showed us what a wrestling match looked like, right? And so they showed us these wrestlers moving and reacting and moving so quickly. And then we began to practice. And I am not an athletic person by nature. I was tripping over my own feet. I didn't know how to move right, much less react to my opponent. <laughs> like, how was I going to get to this level? Right? It seemed this impossible bridge. And, and, and for many of us, maturity and ability to understand and actually apply the Bible seems the same. Like we're reading that what the author is saying about Melchizedek and we see him saying that like, and you don't even understand this and this is milk. And we're going, I don't understand this. <laughs> what do you mean it's milk? How am I going to understand the Bible and apply it? And what the Bible says is practice. In other words, faithfully taking in the word of God 
applying it to your lives and obeying it. When you do that consistently and persistently, over time you are mature. Right? This, this is not understanding the Bible, applying it to your life. It's not an academic feat. It is a feat of faithfulness and obedience. And every Christian can move towards maturity and is called to move towards maturity. Right? You can do it, is what I'm saying to you. And we're here to help you. We're not calling you to do it on your own. We're here to all help you do this together, right? We see that. So how do you grow in maturity? By practicing obedience. When you take in a lesson of Scripture, when you apply it to your life and you then begin to obey it, you grow in your discernment. And you can do that more and more and more over time. Some of the most skilled teachers of Scripture I've ever met are not necessarily the most academically inclined. But what they are is old men and old women who have been faithful their whole lives to practice what they know from Scripture. And over time, they learn more and more. And they are able to peer into a situation that seems confusing and discern what is the wise and the good response to it as a follower of Jesus in ways that I can't. And I've been trained. I have my master's in theology, and I can't pierce it as well because I have not lived as long as faithfully as these older men and women of Jesus, right? It takes practice. It takes time. And the Holy Spirit forms you in that process. So, but how else? This is why I started the verse earlier, because how do we learn obedience? Well, we do that by imitating Jesus. Jump back up with me to verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience. Think about that phrase. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus, the third person of the Trinity, fully God. How did Jesus learn obedience? I don't think I can answer that fully. There's sort of a mystery how Jesus can be fully man and fully God. But there is a way within his humanity, he, like all human beings, had to learn obedience. Though he was perfect, though he never sinned, he had to learn it. And how? Through suffering. In other words, Jesus learned obedience through practicing obedience even when it brought suffering. How do we learn obedience? Well, we, we look to Jesus and we learn obedience by practicing obedience even in the midst of suffering. Now, some of these things should be bringing up other Sermons that you've heard on obedience, how you can have joy in suffering as well, right? Yes, all of this, it, it, it's, not, it's not very complicated teachings. It's very simple, but sometimes the best truths are the simple ones. And so we see that we learn obedience when we imitate Jesus and practicing obedience, even in the midst of suffering. But I, I do want to point something out. 
It is not just that we imitate Jesus. Jesus is a good example, but he is not just a good example. Because if we keep reading, it says this, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. In other words, why can we grow in maturity? Why can we learn obedience? Is because Jesus paid the sacrifice for our sins in his life, death, and resurrection, paving the way for our forgiveness, being made right with God, being given the Holy Spirit. And then when we imitate Jesus and practicing obedience, the Holy Spirit makes us into a mature person. If it were just his example, we'd be in trouble. We'd have a perfect example, but no way to imitate it. But he did more than that. Jesus is far more than just an example, but he is not less than one, as the author of Hebrews continually reminds us, that if we want to grow in our maturity, we must look to Jesus. Later on, most uh, memorable passage for me, all the way in chapter 12, you can, you can look it up later, it says, in the midst of suffering, how can you be faithful? Well, you look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. So as Christians, we grow in maturity as we practice obedience and imitation of Jesus. And then what is the fruit of that? And that's the whole reason that I brought you to this verse today. The fruit of maturity is reproduction. And even this is sort of an imitation of Jesus. You see, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The end fruit of Jesus' obedience is our salvation. Because Jesus obeyed and he learned obedience, we can be adopted into the family of God. And while we can't do that for other people, we are not the Savior and we should not try to be, what we can do is we can bring people to Jesus and we can be part of the Spirit's work in bringing people into the family of God. Let me read one more time this verse that I've read a couple times, right? If we jump down to verse 12, for, by this, uh, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. Now, I've been using the word discipleship, and you probably haven't seen it in here, and that is because of this verse. When you look at the Great Commission and we are called to make disciples, we do that by baptizing them in the name of the Spirit. In other words, um, bringing a person to the gospel where they receive it, and that first act of receiving the gospel is baptism. And then we teach them everything that Jesus commanded. In other words, discipleship is teaching people to obey Jesus. But what do we do here? Well, by this time, you ought to be teachers. In other words, your maturity, where you learn obedience by imitating Jesus, should result in you teaching others to obey Jesus in imitation of Jesus. This is the fruit of maturity. We don't just mature so that we become the super holy person in and of ourselves. We do it so that we can bring others into the kingdom of God as well. We can share with them the gospel where they receive it, and then we teach them to obey Jesus. And then when they reach maturity, to teach others as well. And that's how Jesus has chosen to grow his church, right? The Great Commission in Matthew 28. But I want, I want to really highlight this too, because sometimes I think the reason we stop short of this 
is we have this mistaken view that Christianity is a private religion. In other words, that my relationship with God is just between me and him, and it's none of your business, and you shouldn't have a say in how we relate, right? Well, this form of religion might be very common to those around us, but it is not a Christian idea. In fact, all throughout the New Testament, it consistently teaches us that one, when one member of the body is hurting, what? The whole body hurts. Elsewhere, it says that when all of the members are working together, we build each other, we build each other up in love. In other words, your relationship with Jesus affects me. My relationship with Jesus affects you. Why? Because we are members of one body. There is no private faith in Christianity. There is personal in the sense that no one can no one can bring you to faith in Christ. It is between you and God. That is true, but it is not a private faith. All of us working together build each other up into maturity. All of us are responsible for bringing new members into the body of Christ, sharing with them the gospel and teaching them to obey Jesus till they reach maturity. That there is no private faith. So where does that leave us? We've seen that um, prolonged immaturity comes when we refuse to learn obedience. And we refuse to do that. We refuse to imitate Jesus. And that this keeps us from making disciples. So what does that mean for us? Well, if you are a new Christian, this is what it means for you. It means that you continue to move towards maturity. When you read the Bible, when you read the Bible by yourself and with others, when you hear it taught to you and preached to you, you seek to grow by applying it to your life and continually, faithfully, over time, obeying it. And as that happens, you grow in maturity and you are able to better teach others how to do so as well. But what about the person who has been a Christian for years and decades and decades even, and you are sitting here and you're hearing this and you go, man, I have never actually shared the gospel with someone. I have never discipled someone to maturity in Christ. What about me? Well, the hope for you is this. In the very writing of this, what it is saying is that there is hope for you. That the author did not write this to condemn the people he was writing to. He was writing it to them to encourage them to repent, turn their life around, and to move towards maturity. So even if you are 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, or more, and you haven't yet engaged in the process of discipleship, you can. The first step is to repent that you have not been faithful to obey Jesus' command to make disciples. And then, you, after repenting, Look in your life. Who has Jesus already brought into your life that you can share the gospel with who has not yet received it? Invite them to lunch or dinner. Sit down with them. You don't even have to do it yourself. Sit down with a bunch of Christians at a meal and take that opportunity to share the gospel. Right? It is, you are not too old to mature. In fact, it's something you will be doing continually until either Jesus returns or he calls you home. And so that is our call. That is the response to this, is that if you are sitting in immaturity, 
then you need to grow in your ability to understand the Bible, to apply it, to obey it, and to pass it on. It's not complicated. It is very simple. But as you do that, what we see in the Scripture is that the Spirit will meet you there. He will bring you to maturity, and the whole body benefits because of it. So with that, I want to lead us into prayer as we continue to worship through song. So, Father, thank you for your word from Hebrews. I pray that we take this message to heart, that those of us who are prolonging our immaturity, we take seriously the call to study your scripture, to apply it obediently in our lives, and that all of us are moved to make disciples as a family, that we share the gospel with those who who haven't heard it or who haven't accepted it yet, and that we help each other move towards maturity in Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.